kids did so great. Amen. <laughs> uh, so as Pastor has mentioned, my elder daughter Gemma is in the kindergarten. She's in the N2 class. And last Sunday, just last Sunday, it was her birthday. This is my family. Uh, my husband's face is blocked by the decorations that he put up till midnight the night before. But, uh, you know, no one's looking at daddy, right? Because it's all about the birthday girl. Um, and those of you who have daughters will immediately recognize the theme of the party. Frozen fever uh, has not cooled off at my house at all. Uh, so we, we, had a, we had a party um, in my house just, just for relatives, but that was, that was big enough a crowd to leave. My husband and I both exhausted uh, uh, by the end of the night. And, and parents, you will understand that you know, when you have a party, you, you have to think about food for the kids, food for the adults. You have to think about the goodie bags and the uh, games or whatever. And, and, and the cake, the cake is always um, a big deal. And you can see that we had not one but two cakes uh, my cousin baked that uh, Elsa doll cake, thank God for cousins who bake. Um, and, and you know, I have friends who spend like hundreds of dollars on a beautiful, elaborate cake uh, for the kid. So, so this was Gemma's fourth birthday. Uh, it's the fourth year we've been doing this kitty party thing. Um, and I guess all the work and preparation was, was worth it because in the morning when she came down the stairs and she saw the decoration, she's like, wow. And then you know, she had a lot of fun, like laughing and screaming and playing with her cousins. Um, and I remember uh, her first birthday as well. This was her first birthday. It was the same thing, decorations, um, lots of guests, food, presents, and, and a great cake. My mom made this super marshmallow Jelly, like the cake had everything you can think of. Um, uh, but you know the best part? The best part is that in the middle of her party, this is what she was doing. Uh, yeah, she was sleeping. <laughs> and, and, and if you ask her about it now, hey, Gemma, do you remember the great cake that Grandmama baked for you on your first birthday party? She'll say like, what cake? Oh, you, you know, you say like, hey, remember all the people who came for your party? Who came? Uh, so... Which begs the question, why do we do it, right? Why do a birthday party when the one-year-old won't remember a thing? Parents, I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, sometimes you, you think, why are we doing this? Um, and, you know, I'm hoping my daughter will remember last week's frozen party, but I'm not 100% confident either. So, so why bother? Why, why bother with kids? Why bother with babies? Um, I remember for her first birthday, going to buy the balloons. Uh, and, and, you know, I asked my husband, hey, should I buy the pink one with the, that says happy birthday or the white one that says princess? And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, uh, does it matter? Okay, probably he said, oh, oh, you decide. You know, after I asked him for the fifth time, he was like, just get anyone. She won't remember it. Um, which, which I have to admit is true. <laughs> so, so why bother? Why bother with babies? Um, why bother so much with children? I want to talk about a very short passage uh, today, just three verses uh, from Luke chapter 18. It says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place their hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
So you see, the disciples of Jesus um, had the same question. Why are people bothering Jesus with their babies? Why is Jesus troubling himself with these babies? Are they going to remember him blessing them and laying hands on them? No. Are they going to like listen to the gospel message and become converts and disciples of Christ? Well, no, they probably can't even say their own name. And so, so the disciples rebuked the people. The disciples scolded them. They said, hey, stop bothering our Lord. You know, stop wasting his time. And you know, the disciples were tr- probably trying to protect Jesus. Um, they had good intentions. They wanted to help our Lord uh, get rid of the, some bothersome babies and maybe the kiasu parents. Uh, because they were a nuisance, right? Babies were preventing Jesus from doing real ministry. And, and the disciples probably thought that, that the babies or the kids had, had nothing to offer or to give to Jesus. Um, and so they were unimportant, right? They, they wouldn't even become converts. Uh, Jesus wouldn't gain any followers in these babies that he was blessing. They wouldn't help like, increase his profile or his popularity. Um, they probably won't even remember anything about Jesus. And so the disciples thought, they're just a bother. And I wonder if sometimes we think of kids in that way. I confess that sometimes I do. I'm sorry, I love my kids, but to be honest, sometimes kids can be really frustrating and really annoying. And I wonder if sometimes we think about kids in church the same way. You know, let's get them out of the way so that the real ministry can take place and the real work of the church can take place. And I wonder if sometimes we think about ministry or serving God in the same way as the disciples. When we think of ministry in terms of how much tangible results or, or fruit our work will yield, and if that's the case, then we shouldn't waste time on, on things like children. But Jesus, he didn't think of them that way. He said, no, let them come. And in fact, he said, don't get between them and me. And so today I want to look at the the two things that that Jesus said in this short passage, the two instructions he gave. And the first is this. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. The disciples were telling the children and, and their parents to go away. But Jesus said, come. So it was absolutely clear that Jesus valued children he didn't just dismiss them. He didn't even just tolerate them. Like, ah, okay, these babies, fine. I'll just say some blessing over them. You know, he didn't think, okay, how many converts can I get out of these babies? He said, come, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. The disciples hindered the children and Jesus was not happy about it. The instruction is very clear. Disciples of Jesus should remove all hindrances that keep children from coming to Jesus. And so instead of hindering them, we must facilitate and help and ensure that they come to Jesus. It is our duty as disciples of Jesus to do so. And that's really what we seek to do, you know, in in our Sunday school, in our cool club, when we do Kids Connect and and all these children's programs at CSC, our community services center, and as well as in our kindergarten. Let the little children come come to Jesus and do not hinder them. And today I want to suggest three ways that we can do this. Three ways that that we as as both parents of young children as well as as a church, as disciples of Jesus, three ways we can remove hindrances that keep children from coming to Jesus and bring them to the Lord. And the first is this, that as disciples we must serve 
children. You know, in my, in my first year of teaching, I was uh, the form teacher of a secondary one class. And one day I found myself having to mediate between a few of my, my students because there was a dispute about water bottles. Uh, like, oh, oh, he, he threw your water bottle here, is it? Why do you do that? Oh, because she hide your water. Oh, okay. And, and I spent so long trying to settle this water bottle feud between them. And that when I went back to my staff room, you know, in my youthful arrogance and attitude, I thought, ah, study so hard overseas. Come back and deal with water bottles. But of course, over the years, I, I learned that you know, teaching is not only about imparting knowledge and content. It's very much about water bottles, cleaning up messes, try not to laugh when they say or do something stupid because you must tell them that it's wrong, and all these kind of things. And you know, in, in settling a, a water bottle dispute, you know, your, your London degree or your master's or, or whatever is, is pretty much irrelevant. It's just it's pure patience and, and what we call in teaching seizing teachable moments. You know, it's often in these banal moments, in these daily mundane situations that you teach children things like kindness, respect, and, and, and you teach them a lot more effectively in these situations than if you just sat them down and give them a lecture on it. And you know, a lot of teaching and, and working ch with children is, is really um, unglam moments. It, it's not a very glamorous job at all. And if I felt it at the secondary school level, I can only imagine what it feels like at a primary school level and at the kindergarten level. You know, when my daughter first started nursery, she was in the midst of being toilet trained. And so uh, we had to pack an extra set of clothes in her school bag every day in case she had an accident. And, and, and on days when she came back home and, and there was a plastic bag in her bag with the wet clothes uh, because there was an accident, my first thought would be, oh man, who cleaned up her pee? The poor teachers, like I hope she didn't pee on their shoes or anything, you know? Um, and I believe that, that people who, who work with kids and, and serve the kids are real heroes. They're the real superheroes. You know, I'm a parent. I know full well that kids can be dirty, messy, noisy, rude, uncontrollable, gross, annoying. The list goes on. And yet, despite, despite of all that, there are many faithful people serving in, in children's ministry, in our, in our cool club, the cool talks, the crash, in our kindergarten, in, in the CSC kids programs. And these are not glamorous platform ministries, but these people serve the little ones day after day, week after week. And if you are one of those, I salute you. We honor you today. You are doing extremely important work in bringing the little children to Jesus. You know, we read in the Gospels in, in Matthew, Mark, as well as Luke, that at one point, the disciples were, they were arguing among themselves about who was the greatest. And in response to that, Jesus, in his typically paradoxical manner and with a value system completely different to, to that of the world, he says the path to greatness is to be the very least. He said if anyone wants to be first, he must be the last and the servant of all, Mark 9.35. And so as followers of Christ, we need to understand and recognize that the measure of true greatness in the kingdom of God is not the one who has earned the most money or gained the most awards and accomplishments. And even in church, it's not like the pastors or the leaders who have preached the greatest sermon or, or organized the best events. 
the measure of true greatness is how much heartfelt desire we have to serve others, to serve all. And true greatness is not about positioning yourself so that others praise you, but true greatness is putting yourself in a position to serve everyone, to be a blessing to as many people as you, probably, as you possibly can, a servant of all. And children are among the all. Because all includes even the seemingly unimportant and little ones. And if this wasn't clear enough, after saying this, Jesus takes a little child, uh, he takes him in his arms, he puts his arm around a kid, he embraces the kid, and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And so Jesus was telling his disciples, you know, you argue about who among you is the greatest. If you think you are so important, you must also minister to those who are seemingly unimportant, the least among us. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we must first be servants of the least. You know, people who think they are important or they want to be uh, important, they, they will spend a lot of time or they will seek to spend a lot of time with important people, right? Because, if, you know, if you're always hanging out with celebrities or CEOs or millionaires or whatever, it, it says something about your status. And that's why people like to name drop, right? Like, oh, yeah, I know Sien Lung. Oh, sorry, I'm in PM Lee. I play golf. You know, that, that you like, people like to do that kind of thing. But Jesus says the path to greatness is when we give our time to the least, to the unimportant, like children. People whom we don't really get much from in return. Because children, to be honest, they don't really give you much in return. And it's not just, you know, the unglamorous things like cleaning up their messes or being involved and interested in their petty little problems. It's not just about helping them with even the smallest little thing. It can be a, a really thankless job as well. You know, little children very seldom give great speeches about how much you've done in their lives or, or, or how helpful you are unless they're made to do it. And they are often not really aware of it even. They are not aware um, of it and much less thankful for it when, when you faithfully day after day, week after week, pour your life out for them. Very seldom are they really aware of it. And I think that's why Jesus used a little child as the best example when he wanted to teach his disciples about serving in the kingdom of God. That it's really not about seeking recognition or, or praise from men. We shouldn't try to gain credit when we serve men, but we start to gain Christ when we serve people like children. Whoever welcomes one of these little ones in Jesus' name welcomes Jesus himself. And you know, I believe that as a church, that we must see the importance of taking care of and serving children. That we cannot see children's ministry as nothing more than a babysitting service while we attend the real service. Because if we take the words of Jesus seriously, we will not think that children's ministry is just child's play and nothing much. As a church, we must prioritize and make time for the littlest ones in our midst, both in our families as well as as a whole church, we cannot despise or think little about children and children's ministry. And so we must fully support children's work, children's ministry, and that involves the kindergarten, as well as our cool club, all the children's work over at CSC, 
all the children's ministry. You know, last week it was the kindergarten concert, and it was so good to see um, our church members serving food, uh, helping out as ushers, car park attendants, and, and in various other ways. And I know that, that there are many who faithfully and, and quietly serve in cool in, in CSC. And so as a church, we must support children. We must serve them. And the other thing we must do for our children is to teach them. We must teach our kids. The Bible speaks very clearly about this, about teaching children to follow Jesus. Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. And in Deuteronomy 6, God commands the Israelites, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And what the Bible is saying here is that the love of God, the ways of God, His commandments, His truths, have to be lived out and applied and evident in our daily lives. We have to be constantly teaching children about loving God, about obeying God. It cannot be done as a once-a-week thing. We cannot just leave it to the Sunday school teachers and like hopefully they learn something there. Parents, it has to be a part of our daily lives. We have to impress God's ways and His Word on our children so that it penetrates their hearts and the core of their being. Keep talking to them about Jesus diligently and repeatedly teach them about the Lord. You know, I used to work as a teacher and, and in, in pedagogy, the, the theory of teaching and education, one of the best teaching methods is called modeling, role modeling. Kids learn best when they see someone else do it first. And so our children will learn how to follow God when they see us follow, follow God. Our children will learn how to love God, worship Him, honor Him, serve in church, reach out to people when they see us do it. And, and I believe that that's what Deuteronomy 6 is talking about. That God says, write these commandments on your heart that I've given you today and get them inside of you and then live them out daily so that they also get inside of your children. Now, parents, I don't know about you, when I, when I read all that, it's, it's very stressful. It's a high calling, right? And, and it's tough. Some days I feel like if I can get through the day without yelling at my kids, I've done good. Um, much less, you know, teach them God's commandments. But, but it has to be done. And even for those of us who are not biological parents, I believe that as a church, we still need to be spiritual parents in whatever way, whether we are directly involved in children's ministry or not, the children look up to us, the adults, as spiritual role models in the church. You know, there are many of you older people, I mean older than me, okay, um, whom I have known and watched since I was a child in this church. And I have seen the way you live godly lives. I have seen the way you pursue Christ and serve Him, and you have been role models to me, even though you are not my parents, my biological parents. For example, you know, Elder Vincent, he was uh, the youth superintendent when I was a youth, and now his two children are in the youth ministry with me, and his son, Daryl, is teaching in the Cool Thoughts cla uh, class, where my two daughters are. We have to keep passing on the baton of faith as a church, so that generation after generation will proclaim his praise and live for his glory. And the Psalms talk about this several times. Psalm 71, even when I am old and gray, 
Do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Psalm 78 as well. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Verse 5, he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. As a church, we must keep teaching our children, train them up in the way of the Lord, pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. And I understand that um, next year, the children from our crew club, our Sunday school, um, will be joining in our main services uh, slightly more often. And I think that's a great thing. I think worship should be a family affair. And you know, when the children are involved in, in church in general, in our worship service, it may be noisier, it may be a bit messier, um, but they will learn so much. They will learn just from listening to the worship songs we sing. You know, I, I grew up in church. I've been here all my life. And a lot of my early theology uh, came from the songs I heard in church. Because as a kid, I definitely did not understand like 90% of Romans or Galatians or, or, or Hebrews or whatever. But I would remember things like, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. I remember things like trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I remember that. And after singing over and over, probably you know, more than 50 times songs like, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. After about 50 times, I think I finally understood it a little. That God is great and his love is amazing. And I remember the entire congregation singing, majesty, worship his majesty. And as a kid, I was awed by that and I was actually convinced that yeah, I think God is pretty awesome. He's indeed quite majestic. And children will learn as they see us week after week. Worship as one body. They will learn when they see the adults pray, take the communion, offer our tithes. They will learn. There's a quote that goes, Teach me and I'll forget. Show me and I'll remember. But involve me and I'll learn. And the more the children are involved as part of the church community, the more they learn. So let's welcome them to worship service. Let's take them along camping if possible. Let's bring them along to church camp, church events. Church, we must train up our children in the way of the Lord. We must be role models for our children. We must involve them in church. And so we must serve the children. We must teach the children. And finally, we must also believe, believe in children. You know, sometimes when you work with kids, it's very difficult to see in that moment when, when they are making a huge mess or they are throwing an epic tantrum. It's very difficult to imagine the good and kind and brave and strong and capable adults that they will grow up to be. And it's also difficult to remember the good and kind and brave and smart children that they actually are and can be. But we must believe in them. There are many instances in the Bible um, that tell of God speaking to children, working in children, working through children, using them for his glory. If you think about Joash and Josiah, they were kings when they were seven years old, eight years old. That's like primary one and primary two. The Bible tells us that when they ascended the throne, both of these boy kings did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, Josiah is like the poster boy, you know, the young godly king. Second Chronicles says, while he was still young, he began to seek 
the God of his father, David. And he initiated all these reforms in the land. He turned the people away from idol worship and towards God. And the Bible says, there's no king before or after Josiah who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and soul and strength. Young ones used greatly by the Lord. Of course, we have King David, arguably the greatest king of Israel. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel when he was a boy, as a shepherd boy. His own father didn't think uh, he could be considered. And of course, he killed Goliath, the giant. And we read that you know, when, when, when he faced Goliath, Goliath saw that David was only a boy and he despised him. But we know that David went against him in the name of the Lord and won. And so God can use even little children. And so we must believe that the things done and, and taught while someone is still a child, even a baby, it counts towards something. You know, nowadays parents want kids to get a head start in everything, right? So there's like music and dance or, or whatever kind of enrichment classes that start as early as uh, when, when kids are a few months old. Because it's all about laying the foundation, isn't it? And I believe that the principle behind Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, train him up while he's still a little child, so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. We need to lay the foundation in childhood. And so wherever we can, let's not just think about giving our children a head start academically or in terms of skills or whatever. Let's give our children a spiritual head start. And I want to look for a while at um, the great prophet Samuel. You know, Samuel was a miracle baby, right? His mother, Hannah, had been barren for years. And then she prayed and she told God, if you will give me a son, I will dedicate him to the service of the Lord all the days of his life. And so indeed, God gave her Samuel. And after he was weaned, in those times it would mean when he was about three years old, she brought him to the temple and she told Eli the priest, okay, now I give him to the Lord. And so his whole life, he, he is dedicated to the Lord. And so Samuel stayed there at the temple with Eli and he served. He served. Can and should our young children serve the Lord? Of course. Samuel served in the house of the Lord. And we read in, in 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 2, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a, a linen ephod. The boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with God and with men. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 3, some of us will know this story. The boy Samuel ministered under, uh, before the Lord under Eli. He, he was serving in the temple. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions because in those times, Israel was characterized by great sin. And so revelations from the Lord was rare. And yet, God spoke to Samuel. Verse 2, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Samuel stayed in the temple. And then the Lord called Samuel and Samuel answered, here I am. And most of us will know the story. Samuel thought it was Eli calling him. And so he ran to Eli and he said, yes, here I am. And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. And this happened like three times until Eli realized, oh, it's God calling him. And so he told Samuel what to do. So you see, Samuel was a little boy. He didn't really understand what was going on. He thought it was Eli. And, and you know, if you read the rest of the story, you will know that, that Eli wasn't really a great priest um, his sons did horrible things and, and he couldn't control them. And so, so I'm not sure if he, if he was the ideal mentor uh, or role model for Samuel. And yet, 
as a boy dedicated to the Lord from birth, as a boy who had been serving in the house of the Lord since he was three or four years old, because the foundation had been laid in his childhood. In fact, even before he was formed in his mother's womb, right, his mother had dedicated him. And I believe because of his spiritual foundation that Samuel was spiritually sensitive enough to hear the Lord's calling and have that obedient spirit to say, here I am, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And of course, we know he went on to become a great prophet of the Lord, faithful and holy. And in the New Testament, we have Timothy, right? We know that he was raised by a godly mother and grandmother. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Louis and Eunice, women specifically named and commended and honored in the Bible because they passed on the faith to young Timothy. They left such a great legacy that it was clearly obvious to people like Paul. And then again, he writes um, to Timothy to continue in what he has learned and and has become convinced of and, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You know, a Jewish boy would begin to formally study the Scriptures when he was about five years old. And so this suggests that Lewis and Eunice taught Timothy even before he was five years old at home laying the foundation during childhood. You know, I'm the youth pastor, and I I recognize that sometimes youth ministry gets a lot of credit. Um, When we hear a teenager's testimony, especially when they get baptized, you know, whatever, very often they will say, oh, I went for this youth camp. It changed my life, you know, and and, and it's the first time I encountered God, even though I've been in church uh, uh, since I was a child. And, And, you know, of course our youth camps are great. Parents, please sign up. It's 15 to 18 December. You know, but I believe that especially for our second-generation Christians, that there's been a whole lot of foundation that has been laid year after year in church, week after week in Sunday school, day after day living with godly parents. And yes, youth camp and youth ministry is great. Hallelujah. Amen. But for many second-generation Christians, I believe we are often just building upon foundation that has already been laid at home in church. So don't underestimate the foundation that is laid in in childhood. And so as a church, as parents, we must believe that God can speak to children like Samuel, even when they are young. He can work in young children like Joash and Josiah. And he uses children like David. And of course, in children's work, um, even if we don't see the fruit immediately, even if we've, we've taught them for one year or many years and they're still naughty, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. You know, at the start, I, I talked about um, organizing these elaborate parties for kids, even though they don't really remember it. And I like to think that although they may not remember the specific cake or the decoration or whatever, I think, I believe, years, they will remember that they were loved by their parents. I believe it, <laughs> that it's worth it. And so church, let us continue to fully support and believe, believe in children's ministry because it's worth it. And I want to encourage those who are directly serving in children's ministry to press on, to press on, even when youth ministry gets the credit. To press on, even when the credit seems to go somewhere else or even when the children just look blur and, and they seem to have no idea what's going on. It's worth it. 
We must believe in our children. We must believe that in His own way, God is speaking to them and working in their lives somehow, that He is using them both at this point while they are young and in the future. And so we need to serve children, we need to teach children, and we need to believe in children. You know, I, I'm very convinced and fully believe in children's ministry, um, primarily because I am a product of it. I am completely a product of children's ministry. I've been in this church my entire life. I was born in September 1982, which is exactly when the church moved into this building from Newbridge Road, which is why my parents and I don't appear in this photo. Missed out, man. <laughs> um, you know, I, I accepted Christ just before I turned four years old in August 1986. And the only reason why I remember that is because I wrote down the date in my little Bible. Um, but I don't really remember much else. My mother tells me that it was in Sunday school here uh, with Auntie Mei Fong. And I must confess that I don't really remember exactly, but I remember knowing and believing and thinking about how I have sinned, I've done wrong things, but Jesus died on the cross for me, and then he rose again, and, and he took away my sins, and now he is always with me, and I have eternal life with him in heaven. Very simple, very raw faith that I had at four years old. But that's the message of the gospel, right? It's simple. And I learned in Sunday school, Jesus is always there for me. He protects me. He loves me. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And I believed all that. I believed all that. And I remember praying and, and, and asking God to help me and in my tests or exams and, and, and believing that, that he will. And, you know, I remember when my mom was pregnant, uh, and she asked me if I wanted a brother or a sister, and I said, I want a brother. And, and she said, you ask God lah. Typical Deaconess Linda style. And, and, and I did. I, I prayed for a brother. And some of you will know my brother, Joash. He is indeed a boy. <laughs> and and when, 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 they, when we found out he was a boy, I was like, whoa, God answered my prayer. And as a five-year-old, that blew my mind, that God answered my prayer. And then, you know, we grow up and, and things get more complicated and life gets more complicated and, and we begin to doubt more, and, and faith is no longer so simple. Oh, you prayed for a brother, 50-50 chance what? <laughs> no big deal, right? And, and, and we start to doubt, we start to question, and we lose the plot. But you know, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, will never enter it. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity and humility of a child, you cannot get in. And that's the second thing that Jesus said. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so how do we become like a little child? What is it about little children that we are supposed to emulate? You know, some people will say, oh, it's because children are very pure and innocent and angelic. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't know about other kids, but as a parent, I can tell you there are many, many times when my kids are not angelic, not innocent and pure. And so what I, I think what Jesus was talking about is actually this. 
You know, the human baby is possibly the most helpless of all species. You know, puppies, they can, they can crawl very soon after they're being born. Uh, calves, baby cows, you know, in, within a few minutes of birth, they, they're up in their feet looking for breakfast, and then they just left their mother's womb a, a few minutes ago. But human babies, they don't walk until they're maybe a year old. They can't even sit up until they're at least a few months old. You know, if you left them in the wild, there's no chance they would survive unlike some animals who will be able to go and find their own food and all. And I've read that a baby enters this world with only one power, the power to elicit tenderness, emotion, and a caring response to them from other human beings, and specifically and especially from their mothers. And instinctively, the babies know that they are helpless. That's why they cry so much. They need to signal their distress uh, they need to call for help. And I think Jesus' point here is that we have to be like little children. We have to be completely dependent on God the Father for everything we need. We have to acknowledge and recognize that we, we need Him and we are helpless without Him. A baby is completely dependent on adults and their parents. As parents, we have to give them food, clothing, shelter, protection, Otherwise, they will starve or choke or fall or die. A little child knows nothing of self-reliance. And I'm sure many mothers will know, especially um, um, when they are young, sometimes babies really cling to you. You know, they, they just want to be permanently stuck to you all the time, even when you just want to go to the toilet or you just want to eat one meal in peace. They cling to you. They cling my daughters are still very young. They are two and four. So now they can do some things on their own. But the baby years are still fresh in my mind. This is them on the day they were born. Very cute, but useless. I mean helpless. You know, completely dependent. Right? When they poop or pee, they just cry. And then someone changes their diaper. When they are hungry, they just cry. And then someone feeds them. And whenever they feel like it, wherever they feel like it, they just sleep. They nap. Whether it's their birthday party, like my daughter, or even if you like specially brought them to the zoo, when they want a nap, they will nap. Right? We could be having a great family day in some kiddie place that we, we specially went there for the sake of the kids. And when we get there, they're just sleeping in a stroller. And then we just adjust the whole day's schedule around them. And my husband likes to say, oh, how great it is to be a baby. You just sleep and poop and do whatever you want, wherever you want, wherever you want. And you know someone's going to take care of you and take care of it. And I believe that this is the picture for us of the childlike trust we should have in God our Father. That, that whatever happens, wherever we are, whatever we do, God the Father will take care of us. And we have to be humble to acknowledge our helplessness before God and accept the status of a child in a stroller. But you know the result is fantastic. All of God's protection and provision and love covers us and we are free from anxiety. You know how kids are free from anxiety? They don't think about, oh, where's my next meal going to come from? They, they're free. They're free from anxiety. And I believe that that is the attitude that Jesus is talking about when he says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's the attitude of being a helpless child looking 
to the Father. Not an independent person doing our own thing, managing everything on our own in our own way, but completely dependent on God, clinging to Him, drawing everything we need from Him. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. And apart from Him, we have no good thing. And that's what being born again means. Being born again means starting life utterly dependent on the Father. And when we receive Christ, when we become a Christian, we must first recognize our need for God. We need to turn away from ourselves and turn towards Christ instead. That's what repentance is. And it's hard sometimes because we have so much pride in us, especially when we are adults who can not only feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, we can take care of ourselves, we can even forge a career for ourselves, we can achieve successes on our own. And so often we forget that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That no matter what we think we can do, no matter how good we are or we think we are, we will never reach God's standards of perfection and holiness because of our sin. And our sin is what separates us from God. It creates an emptiness that only God can fill, a brokenness that only God can heal. And we may, on our own, achieve riches, success, attain knowledge and status, have great relationships, great popularity. We may even do good deeds, charitable works in church, but on our own, we will never reach God. It is only because Jesus rose from the dead, conquering all death, sin and brokenness that we can find redemption, forgiveness and life. To get into the kingdom of God, we must be childlike and receive Jesus, trusting Christ to come into our lives and be the Lord of our lives and make us what he created us to be. We must live a Christ-directed life where Christ is on the throne, where our entire life, our desires, our interests, our concerns are completely dependent on and directed by Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so my message today is really that we should like children, we should we should serve them, we should teach them, we should believe them, believe in them, we should love them, and we should also be like children. And I think the connection is this, that, that if you are receiving the kingdom yourself like a little child, that if you relate to God like a dependent little child, then you will also not do anything to hinder the little ones from coming to Jesus. But if you are not childlike towards God, in the same way children unimportant people will be beneath you and not worth your time. And one of the greatest hindrances to children's ministry is, is pride. It's thinking that children and children's work is, is unimportant. It's not real ministry. It's beneath us. Just as one of the great gifts for ministry to children is humility. And in the same way, one of the great hindrances to receiving Jesus as well as to growing in our relationship with Jesus is pride thinking that we are actually fine on our own, that we can manage everything on our own. We're pretty good on our own. We forget that we are actually helpless, that we need God in so many ways that we need to cling to Him. John 1 verse 12 says, But to all who received Him, He gave the right to become children of God. And all they needed to do was trust Him to save them. 
I'd like to ask us all now to close our eyes and bow our heads and let's just spend some time responding to God. You know, if you have never received Jesus into your life before, I want to tell you today that Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again to give you not just eternal life, but abundant life on earth. Because a life that is completely dependent on Him is great. It is free from anxiety. There is complete freedom knowing that the King of Kings, the Lord of heavens and earth, heaven and earth, the Creator of the universe, holds us in His hands just as He holds the world in His hands. And He loves you with a love so amazing, so divine. And if you want to receive Jesus, all you need to do is make a personal decision to acknowledge Him as our Lord and commit to following Him. And you can do that now, anytime, just by praying a simple prayer in faith. And praying is really just talking to God. And God knows your heart. And so it's not about specific words. It's really just the attitude of your heart. God, I need you. And I want you to come into my life. And so if that's you, if you want to receive Jesus, as every eye is closed and every head bowed, would you say these words and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that you make me whole and you give me eternal life. I believe in you. I've decided to follow you and receive you as my Savior and my Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If we could just keep our eyes closed for one more minute. With no one looking around, if, if you pray that prayer, would you just raise your hand really quickly and give me a little wave so that I can see who you are and maybe someone can talk to you after the service and pray with you. And you know, for the rest of us, would we just take a moment and come to our good, good Father like a child, like a child completely dependent on Him, remembering that without Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Him, we have no good thing that we are utterly and completely dependent on Him. Let's pray. God is your people. Would you help us to cling to you? Would you help us to cling to you as we cling to the Father, to the one who gives us life, to the one who holds us and holds our life together to the one in whom we have salvation, redemption, and everything we need. God, would you give each of us a childlike faith, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian for, would you constantly give us a childlike faith that looks to you and not ourselves, that recognizes our need for you, that we need you more each day. So, Father, come take us as your little children. And, Father, as we end the service today, we want to also just pray for 
children's ministry in our church and especially for the kindergarten. God, would you bless every child that comes into this church. Would you bless the teachers and the people who work with them. Would you bless every child with your love and your grace, your protection and your presence. And so we thank you, Father, for all that is found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The service is over. If you would like to be prayed for, you can come come to the front and there will be leaders here.